Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information about our church and service times, please visit revival.me. Enjoy the message. just really quick say happy Mother's Day to all the different kind of mamas. And I have this thing I shared this morning. Um, And I want to say you're changing the world, whatever you're doing, whether you're an expectant mama, a spiritual mama, how many know we need those? Biological moms, if you have your own babies, foster mamas, that's such a powerful, adopted moms, single mamas, stepmoms, even grieving moms and um, grandma. So thank you for what you're doing. Your effect is um, felt in the earth, and you're appreciated, needed, and I just want to celebrate you today. Amen? Um, Before I get into the text, I wanted to tell a couple really quick funny stories about me being a mom. Um, Funny stories like uh, the first time your infant boy pees in your face. Uh, How many moms like that? It's like, you're like, Oh, that's what happens when you open the diaper, right? I remember the first time right in my eye. I was like, is this going to make me have an infection? I don't think this is good for me. Um, There was another time, my Josiah, he's 14. I'm going to tell embarrassing stories about my kids because I get to. I'm their mom. I birthed them. Oh my, there was something, I was, I was asking my kids to do something, and I think I needed them to go to the basement and get something for my nails, and my girls are incredibly afraid of my basement. Um, it's not pretty, but it's also, you know, it's covered in spiders and webs, but I mean, you know, it's not, they're not going to die. It's the basement. And I was like, Hey, I birthed you. Go get my nail file. (laughs) They didn't do it. Um, So there was this time I remember I had a friend over, and I know she was totally judging me. She was one of those friends that was just like, I feel like your house is covered in pee. And I was like, and? (sighs) I have four little tiny kids. Okay. Um, So... I think Josiah was like two or three, and um, he's like eating a pizza, of, uh, a piece of pizza crust. And I was like, "Oh, that's strange. Where'd you find that, buddy?" He was like, "It was on the floor." I was like, "Oh, okay. You don't want this fresh baked goldfish I just made you?" <laughs> and he's like, "No, I'm gonna eat the pizza crust at two. And so he's eating the pizza crust, and I was like, "Oh, that's fine." And then I thought, I don't remember the last time we had pizza. Um, there was another time, really quickly, <laughs> some of you guys might have heard this story, it's really funny, I'll tell it over and over and over again, because it embarrasses my children. It's an embarrassment for me as a mom, but more for them. Um, <laughs> I was really, really pregnant with number five, so, um, you know, with number five, I was tired, I was so tired, like all the time, like the only thing I remember from that entire pregnancy was just sleeping and eating crackers, like that's it, I just was so tired, so we were sitting at the table, and it was a Wednesday night, and we had um, church on Wednesday nights at this time, Um, 
And so Zach was already gone, and I'm sitting at dinner table with my kids and had just freshly made a beautiful, from home, from scratch, Taco Bell dinner. So <laughs> we're eating Taco Bell. Um, and um, eat the food I made you, children. It's like I didn't make him anything. So we're sitting at the, at the dinner table, and, and I'm so tired, like so tired, just tired. I can't even explain it. And, um, and we're just talking and having a conversation, and Hannah leans over to me, and she says, um, I think she probably was like eight or nine, she's like, Mom, I'm wearing Josiah's underwear. I was like, oh, why? She's like, because I didn't have any clean. And I was like, oh, my bad. And then Josiah, six, he leans over, he's like, Mom, I mean, Hannah, just go commando. That's what I do. And I'm like just sitting there, you know. I don't know how many times that week we had had fast food. And my son knows what commando means. And there's literally no clean underwear. And this is so habitual that they know how to fix their problems. (laughs) So grace to all you mamas out there. Because it is not hot. It is not easy. You're holding it down. Give yourselves, yeah, give yourselves a hand. You're holding it down. So I wanted to share this, um, this story this morning in John chapter 2, and, um, and I'm going to read it from the New King James, and it's going to be on the board next to me. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his, disciple, his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set um, six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And then he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made of wine, that uh, that was made wine and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and and his disciples believed in him. Can we pray really quick? Father, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for just what you're speaking to us as a church, as a community, where we're headed, where we're going. God, I pray that you would just fill our heart with your goodness, your love, your word, your mercy, your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I love, there's so much good stuff in this story. Um, a couple things that I want to pull out of it. I do have three points, but I might not um, just work from them. So just bear with me because there's some things I really want to talk about in the text. You know, um, there's the synoptic gospels. So when you study the scripture, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the synoptic gospels. So they are all kind of in sync. That's why things repeat itself in the scripture. It was therefore interpretation of what, of what Jesus did on the earth. And this particular miracle is, the, um, is only found in one 
of those four. It's only found in, in, in uh, the book of John. And I think it's so interesting that the other um, gospels, the other writers focused on different things, but John focused on this one. Because there were th- certain things that John was trying to communicate that the other, um, the other writers weren't necessarily trying to communicate. How many know when the other writers talked about genealogy, John focused on Jesus being the word, Jesus being before time. So they were talking about, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were talking in genealogy. They were saying, well, Jesus was begotten by, or he came from, or this was in his line. But John was like, no, from the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became um, flesh and dwelt among us. So John was trying to proclaim portray a picture of Jesus being the son of God beyond his genealogy beyond his earthly bloodline what John was communicating was wait a minute this man was not like any other man this man had the um he was here before we were here he was here when God was here he is the son of God he is begotten of God so John is communicating something completely different than the other three gospels Sometimes what happens is we're trying to recreate what's happening in our heritage, our lineage, humanistically, but God's saying, I want you to think differently. I want you to think divinely. I want you to think spiritually. I want you to think what's happening in the other realms. I want you to think what's happening in the spirit. The other gospels are communicating a natural thing that's happening. Jesus was begotten of so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and that's important. But then John's like, he's the son of the father. He's the word. He was and is and is to come. John's saying something different. And so when I, when I want us to, like, think about that as we're thinking about this scripture, like, it was like an interruption. How many have had an interruption at times in your life? It's like going like this and like this and natural and things are happening and it's okay. And these, these things are like just regular things and all of a sudden you have an interruption or a suddenly in your life. Where there's a divine intervention or a divine moment where you're like, wait a minute, I need to listen. Wait a minute, what are you saying? Wait a minute, God, there is something divine happening. And that's what happened with the book of John. And right after John begins to talk about who Jesus is, he tells this specific story that you cannot find in any other gospel. I also think it's interesting that the first miracle of Moses was Moses turned water into blood. And the first miracle of Jesus is he's turning water into wine. And what I think is happening is there is a comparison with the old covenant and the new covenant. How many know that we live in a better and new covenant because of Jesus? And I think what's happening is there is this compare and contrast if you look in scripture and you can see that Moses, what he did was he said, I'm going to turn water into blood because that was the, that was the sacrifice, that what was needed in that old covenant. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute, I don't want a blood sacrifice. I am the sacrifice. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how to make water into wine. 
Because now I'm about union, and I'm about love, and I'm about rest, and I'm about grace, and I'm about drinking the wine of heaven that never runs dry. So Jesus is making this comparison, and he's saying, it's no longer necessary for the blood, but what I'm doing is I'm bringing the wine, the wine of my love, the wine of my goodness, the wine of grace. And so you can see in this, there's so many things you can take out of this portion of scripture, but I just want us to hear some of these things, these kind of like resonance of if you really get the heart of John and what he's communicating. It's like, wait a minute, this is an interruption. This is a suddenly listen and take heed to what's going on. Amen? So that was just some free stuff, and I'm going to get the first point, the first thing I see. I love this because I believe that Mary knew who she was birthing. Something inside of her, like, obviously she knew because this was a miraculous birth, right? Like, this is, goes back to the this original story of who Jesus is, that he was born of a virgin. So obviously she knew there was a miracle. She was growing, but, you know, the early church called Mary the gate of heaven. She birthed the God child. She birthed our Savior. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. I think my kids are great, but none of them were the Savior. <laughs> I birthed greatness, but not that kind. No, they're awesome. You guys are awesome. Sarah, you're great. But I feel like there was something. There was like miracle inside of her. Even, even um, when Elizabeth was, was, um, uh, had jo John the Baptist and the babies in the womb leapt because they could sense the spirit on each other. How many know like God was doing something from the beginning even in the womb of Mary? And Mary had, she's carrying this thing. Sometimes we don't realize what we carry because we don't believe that it's a miracle power, but it is. And if we understand what we're carrying, what we birth can be so powerful. Okay, Mary knew who Jesus was. This was his first miracle. So he wasn't revealed as this miraculous man. Like he hadn't already healed the man um, that was blind on the side of the road. He hadn't already raised Lazarus from the tomb. Like if I knew Jesus had already raised Lazarus from the tomb, it would be easy for me to ask him to make wine from water. But he hadn't done that yet. She hadn't seen that, but she knew something in her heart that Jesus was different. She knew that she had birthed a miracle. She knew that Jesus was walking in something that she had not seen another man walk in. She knew who she was talking to. Mary knew who she was talking to. She knew who she was asking for a suddenly, for a hold on, wait a minute. She put a demand on Jesus to do something that was out of time and not necessarily in his sphere of authority, but she knew who she was talking to. See, when you know who you're talking to, when you know who you serve, when you know who Jesus is, you're not afraid to put a demand on heaven and bring the unseen into the scene because you need a miracle. Because you need something that no other person can answer for you. Because you're hungry. Because you're crying out. Because you're desperate. See, what we don't understand in our culture, um, because it's just a different culture, is that 
these wedding celebrations took days. And if they ran out of wine, this was disgraceful to the bridegroom. And it was almost like um, it would put a, like a disgrace on their entire family, their entire marriage, their whole history. They're just starting out. Can you imagine you're just starting out and you start out and there's like a scandal? How you would have to walk through your entire marriage, your, your life together, your new life together. You're supposed to be excited, but the whole community understands and they're condemning you because you ran out of wine because it was a disgrace. So when Jesus heard his mom's cry, his mom was not just saying, hey, we need you to do this favor because the party's running out and we need some more wine. She's saying, no, I have union in mind. I have family in mind. I have a future for this family in mind. And I need you, Jesus, to do something you might not have intended to do, but I'm going to need you to do a miracle because this is our family and our family needs to stay together. If if Jesus was invited to this wedding and if Mary had said something, this means they were a part of their family. They were, this was like a cousin or something. That's what the um, uh, contextual ideas are. That's what people say. I mean, like scholars and stuff. Okay. But Mary knew the power of miracles and she lived the miracle of who Jesus is. And she understood that she could put a demand on heaven. She could put a demand on Jesus. One that she not, might not necessarily owned. She might not necessarily needed to do it. She might not necessarily even had permission to call Jesus into his first miracle. But how many knew she knew who Jesus was? And sometimes we're waiting for permission when Jesus already gave it to us. You're waiting for permission for your miracle when Jesus said, I am the miracle worker. You're waiting for permission for provision when he said, I have already provided. You're waiting for permission for healing when he said, I am the healer. We are waiting for permission for things that he's already provided. And Mary understood this. She's like, I'm not waiting for permission. I'm his mama. I do what I want. That's how I feel with my sons. I'm his mama. I feel bad for their future girlfriends. I refuse to say wives because I'm not there yet. You know, our oldest is 19 and he has his girlfriend and he went to Vegas and they went to prom and so the Zach took all the pictures and sent them all to me. My favorite was the one where her face was half cut out. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I love my boys. I want them home forever. Stay home. No, I'm kidding. But Mary was a mama. And she was like, I know who I am. And I know what my son can do. Something happens when we put our hope and our trust in Jesus. So my first question to you is, what can faith and trust accomplish in your life? What can faith and trust accomplish in your life? Um, the second thing I see, this is so good. They ran out of wine. Who runs out of wine when that's what you're prepared to do? It makes me think, like, did they not plan right? Did they not plan accordingly? 
Did they not understand what was happening? That this was their entire, this was the union of their children. This was the, the, their marriage. This was their future. This was their reputation. Sometimes we're living in our reserve, and our reserve is not Jesus. So my question is, what kind of wine is in your reserve? Sometimes we lean back into our own understanding or our, our own desires, or we lean back into our own strength. So my question is, what is in your reserve? You know, um, I remember before we planted our church in Las Vegas, my husband was in the mortgage business, and he told a little bit of this story a few weeks ago. But, you know, we were living large. Like, we were doing really, really good financially, and it was awesome. And I used to teach Bible studies to women in my living room talking about the trust of God and God is faithful. And I believed it with all my heart, and I believed that, that, um, that it was good, and I was speaking from my heart and not a place of, of um, not understanding. But then... Suddenly, the market crashed, and we went from a lot to a not. <laughs> and I remember having to trust Jesus with nothing. I remember having to preach myself happy those same sermons I was preaching those ladies in my big house in my living room when I could have a check to back it up when I don't have any more checks anymore. The checks are all gone. I mean, I could write it, but I go to jail. Those kind of checks. See, trust happens when you don't have any other reserve. Real trust happens when I'm abasing or I'm abounding. I'm on a mountaintop or I'm in a valley, but it doesn't matter because I have you, Jesus. You are what's filling my vats. You are what's filling my oil buckets. I have you. I drink your wine. See, there's a party that you attend where only Jesus can satisfy. There's a place you can go where there's no other wine but the wine of the Spirit. There's places in our lives where it's only Jesus. It's only Jesus that satisfies. It's only Jesus that provides. It's only Jesus that heals. It's only Jesus that can be my portion. There are places in our lives where I have to have Jesus in my reserve. It has to be Jesus. So what kind of wine is in your reserve? The last point, I think it's funny, like, I imagine being, like, maybe the bride. And I'm at my wedding, and my parents did not prepare cor correctly, and I'm thinking, this is our entire future. It's, it would actually, in their culture, it would have been his parents. So, your parents. <laughs> I'm going to ruin this whole thing for us. And then, like, somebody has some weird cousin and weird aunt. And this weird aunt's like, my son can turn your water into wine. And you're like, what? Gosh, you guys are so weird. I don't even know why I invited you to my wedding anyway. <laughs> Jesus is weird, and he brings five weird fishermen with him. They weren't even invited, and he just brings them. <laughs> How many throw a party? And that always happens. You're like, hey, can I, can I bring so-and-so? You're like, ugh. I'm never like that. <laughs> we have this like little running joke in our house. My husband is the most inclusive man ever. 
And not that I'm not inclusive. I just like to be prepared. And there was this one time he was so just like happy at church. And we had just moved into this rental property that had all white carpet. I already have four children at the time. I already have four kids. And I'm renting a house with all white carpet. Like they're going to take our carpet deposit. So at church. And it's like a hot Vegas day. It's hot like eight months out of the year, 10 probably. And he's like, everybody's going to come to our house. You're invited to my house after church. And I'm like, what? (laughs) You did not even ask me. Like, we have this, like, thing. Like, look at me and say, is that okay? (laughs) This is, like, early on. He knows better. Now he knows better. I, there was probably, like, I swear, there were people that came to that barbecue I had never seen at church. I was like, you invited somebody, somebody's friend, because I didn't see you this morning, and you're in my house for a barbecue. There was like 150 people that showed up for a barbecue at my house. And their children. Needless to say, after that day, the carpet was ruined. Just done. I just gave it to the Lord Jesus. Heal my heart. I forgive my husband. Um, thank you, Lord, for community. But so I imagine like being the bride and thinking these people didn't even prepare like they didn't prepare for this feast and they're going to ruin things before we even get started. They're going to mess up the union before we even start. And some weirdo thinks her son is going to save something. But they didn't have any idea who they invited to their party. They invited somebody. They invited somebody who could help them, somebody who could change them, somebody who could turn everything around. See, there are times in our lives where we have to be grateful that we've invited Jesus into our life, where we've invited him. See, we take things for granted, like, have you invited Jesus into your heart? Um, You're like, oh, yeah, you weirdo, I have. Okay, it's weird. (laughs) Have you invited him into your life? Have you invited Jesus in? Have you said, I give him permission to attend every party? I give him permission to attend every event. I give him permission to my life. Jesus, you're invited. I also love this part. You know the bride and the bridegroom? They didn't have to do anything to get Jesus to do a miracle except invite him. All they had to do was invite the right person at the right time in the right moment to make a way where there was no way, to make provision where there was no provision. See, the right person at the right time in the right moment changes everything. And let me tell you, the right person is Jesus. The right time is any time, and he'll provide anything you need, anything you need. He is provision. I'm going to close with this beautiful psalm. I love it so much. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation, so if you don't have it, that's okay. It'll be on the screen. But Psalm 40, I'm going to start in verse 1. I love it. I love it so much. I waited and waited and waited some more. Sometimes we feel like we're just waiting and waiting 
and waiting and waiting and Jesus, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. But the psalmist says, waiting some more patiently, knowing that God would come through for me. There's a posture of our heart where we pause and we say, I might be waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, but I know that I know that I know that I know who I'm waiting on, who won't leave me or forsake me, who won't leave me dry, who won't leave me empty, who will answer my prayer. And I'm waiting, and I'll wait patiently with a heart posture that says, Papa, I'm not anxious. Papa, I'm not mad. Papa, I'm not worried about it because I know you have it. I might be waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, but you are faithful. Then at last... He bent down and he listened to my cry. He stooped down to lift me out of danger from the desolate pit I was in. Out of the muddy mess I had fallen into. And now he's lifted me up into a firm, secure place and steadied me while I walk along his ascending path. A new song for a new day arises in me. I believe that's the cry for some of us this morning. A new song for a new day. I'm turning the page. Old things, grief, disappointment, fear, anxiety, depression, old things. I need a new song for a new day because it's a new day for me. Say it with me. Say, I am getting a new song for a new day. And every time I think about it, how he breaks through me, ecstatic praise pours out of my mouth until everyone hears how God has set me free. How do we know we're set free? By the praise that comes out of our mouth. Many will see his miracles. They'll stand in awe of God and fall in love with him. Blessing after blessing comes to those who love and trust the Lord. They will not fall away, for they refuse to listen to the lies of the proud. Pray with me, church. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that we can put a demand on heaven. We can put a demand on heaven, and we do right now in our own life, in our own heart, and we say, Jesus, we want your wine. We've invited you to our party, and we say yes to what you have for us. We want the wine of heaven. We want to see you work in our lives. We want these answers to our prayers. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see revival in our family. We want our children to come home. We want our marriages restored, God. And so what we do is we put a demand on heaven by saying yes to you, and inviting you into every area of our life, God. We say yes. We say yes. We say yes. We open our heart and say, have your way in every area of our life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can you shout amen with me? Amen. Amen good. Thank you, Jesus. Hi, Pastor Zach here at Encounter Church in Rochester, New York. Hope you were blessed by that message. And we want to give you an opportunity to sow into the ministry if you'd like to. If you would, just go to revival.me 
and click on the button that says give. Thanks again and have a blessed, blessed day.